This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much that we can come before you, Lord God, that we can worship you and be with you and spend time with you. And more importantly, Lord God, we just thank you that you care to spend time with us. Lord, I pray that you be with Pastor Dave this morning as he speaks. Um, Lord, let the Spirit guide him and let the Spirit guide us, Lord God. Help us to shake off any struggles, worries, concerns about life, Lord God, so that we can be uh, readying our heart and our mind to listen to uh, what you have prepared for us, Lord God. Lord, may we take these words of yours and put them in our own practice, Lord God, in our life so that we can glorify you, so that others may see the hope that we have in you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Acts 16 this morning. I love that song. It just brings to mind that passage in Revelation 5, where all of creation is worshiping God and giving glory to Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And she is still my favorite Christian music artist going on 34 years next month. So, let's read together from Exodus 16. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction." On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for He hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full Uh, in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against Him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumblings. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In this passage of Scripture, we see the nature of the Israelites, the human nature of the Israelites. And what we have to recognize in this 
is that every Christian is just like them. Everyone. Don't look at this passage of Scripture and say, that's not me. That, doesn't ha- that won't happen to me. That doesn't happen to me. There's three reasons. Number one, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 15 that these things were written for our instruction. These things were written in earlier times for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. Secondly, God dealt with the Israelites in a manner that He deals with individual Christians. He worked with the nation as a whole in that era in the same way that He works with you individually. He led them along as one individual, as it were. He placed His Spirit upon the nation. He disciplined them as a people, together as one unit. And it was a picture to show how you and I are to walk before God and what He does with us. Thirdly, Our human nature is just the same even if the Holy Spirit is working inside the Christian in a manner unlike he was working in the lives of the Israelites. He didn't indwell the Israelites generally like he does every Christian today. So we have to see that we still have the same human nature just like them. And these things were written for us. The first thing we notice in this passage, we're going to look at three things this morning. Number one, the accusation of the nation. Number two, the answer of the Lord. And thirdly, the analogy of the manna. So let's look at the accusation of the nation in verses 2 and 3. What takes place? The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. Oh, that was so much better then. You know what? When you enter into the difficulties of life, What's your first tendency? To complain, to grumble. Why this? What now? I don't need this today. We're just like them. The Israelites were out on their own from Egypt for a little over a month here. They were told by the Lord that they were going to the promised land. But what was going on? Here it is. They're going to the promised land, this place that's overflowing with milk and honey. It's a place of agricultural abundance, right? That's what f- milk and honey refers to. There's, there's animals that are producing other young. And so there's milk being produced. There's honey because there's bees, because there's plants. It's a whole cycle, right? If you don't have bees, you don't have pollination. You don't have pollination, you don't have fruit. You don't have fruit, you don't have, you don't have life. You don't have honey. It's a place of agricultural abundance. But what was the problem? They weren't headed to the promised land. They were heading away from it towards Sinai. 
the opposite direction. Any fool looking up at the sun coming up every day would realize we're not going to where God said we were going. We're going southeast, and that place is north, northwest. And then they came into this harsh environment, harsher than where they were. They lacked necessary food. They had difficulty finding water. But they were in this place. They were in this place, this difficult place, because they were doing what God wanted them to do. They weren't in this place because they were doing what they were not supposed to do. Sometimes the trouble that you run into is because you are doing exactly what you were supposed to do because you were choosing to do exactly what was right. I'm running into this difficulty. I'm having a trouble in my spirit because I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. I thought this was going to be easy. You know what? If I had compromised and done that less than honest deal that my boss told me to do, I would have been promoted. Or maybe I would still have my job. You know what? If I hadn't tithed, I'd have surplus money to deal with this hardship right now. If I hadn't told my family about my faith in Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be ostracized by them. I wouldn't be written out of the will by them. Sometimes the trouble you're going through is because you're doing what is right. And so let's look at the sources of your grumbling because there are a couple of different reasons why you would grumble. Maybe it's because you become homesick for your life before you came to Christ. You become homesick for your life before you came to Christ. Here they were grumbling, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt when we sat by pots of meat. See, back when that happens, you're forgetting the bad things and you're remembering only the good things that were. Ah, it's, life was so much better before I followed Jesus, before I trusted Him, before I... You become homesick for your life before Christ. You forget what it was like. That's what was going on here. They were grumbling over this thing. They thought, man, we had it good. Back in slavery, we had it good in slavery. Hmm, I don't know. Sometimes it's because we think things were better. But there's another reason. Sometimes you have the wrong perspective on God's concern for you. Sometimes you don't realize, and this is what they were saying in verse 4, I'm sorry, in verse 3, uh, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. God, you're meaning evil for me. See, I wouldn't be going through this if you weren't meaning evil. They had a wrong perspective on God's concern. God was doing something in their life. 
And it wasn't pleasant, but it was necessary. Remember, whatever God brings into your life may not be pleasant, but it is necessary. And sometimes it's because you've chosen to go in a place you've not, you're not supposed to be. And, and this is where we see the answer from the Lord. You see, we have these sources of grumbling. We become homesick for what we were, what, what used to be. What I could, what could I be right now if I hadn't? Man, I could be doing this or I could be doing that. You could also be dead. Or we have the wrong perspective. God cares for you. He really does care for you. You may not see it, but He cares for you. And this is the answer from the Lord. See, He didn't just leave them on their own to deal with them, this themselves. He was with them. And the answer from the Lord, first of all, He says, I'm teaching you for your good. Take that word testing there and put the word teaching in it. I am teaching you. See, verse 4, that I may test them, that I may teach them whether or not they will walk in my law, whether they will walk in my instruction. I'm teaching you for your good. That's what God is doing here with the Israelites. He says, I'm teaching you for your good. I want to do this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he tells them this. He says, I was doing this to humble you and to show you Right, right here, verses 2 and 3, remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that He might humble you, testing you, here it is, teaching you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that He might make you understand man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so God says, I'm teaching you for your good so you can see something you never would have understood otherwise. You're going to know something about yourself when God brings you through this teaching. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says this, all discipline for the moment does not seem to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet afterwards, those who have been trained by it it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you're going through it, it's not pleasant. God's teaching you something about yourself that you did not know before. And sometimes it may be good because you're doing what you need to do. You're where God wants you to be. Maybe it's something good. Sometimes it's something not so good that you learn about yourself. You're not where you should be. You need to turn around and go in the right way. So sometimes it's good. It's like apples of gold and settings of silver, the Bible says. Sometimes it's bad. It's like a diamond ring in a pig's nose, the Bible says. Either way, God is testing you. He's teaching you to show you you're at where you're supposed to be, and I'm going to tell you something about yourself that you didn't yet know, that's good for you. Or you're not where you're supposed to be, and I'm still going to tell you something about yourself so you can turn around. 
That's the answer from the Lord. I'm teaching you for your good. Secondly, he says, not only am I teaching you for your good, I am near you. I'm near you. God wasn't some faraway place. Where's God? We're, we're here in this desert and God's not anywhere. to. No, look, in verse 9, he says, I have heard your grumblings. I have heard your grumblings. Verse 9, I hear you. Verse 12, I will provide for you. At twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. I hear you, I will provide for you, and here's the beauty of the test, here's the beauty of this teaching, I will prove myself to you. Look at verse, the end of verse 12, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. At the end of the testing, at the end of the teaching, the Lord is going to show you, I'm the Lord your God. I am working this out. I'm near you. I hear you. I'll prove myself to you. And you will say, yes, you are my God. In a way that you could not understand. Who would have thought that God could provide bread for them in the morning and meat for them in the evening throughout their years? It's an incredible thing. And it was that by which God proved himself to them. You know what? It doesn't always look like the way you think it should look. We have an idea in our minds what living in America is. That's not always what God has for you. And so it brings us here to the analogy of the manna. The analogy of the manna. When, when the Israelites saw this stuff on the ground in the morning, they said, manna. Where did they get that name from? It's just the Hebrew word that means, what is it? That's, that's what manna means. What is it? They didn't know what it was. They looked at it and they're like, haven't seen this before. Dad, do you know what this is? Right, because dad knows everything. Until between, except between that age of like, 14 and 23 or so. But, you know, Dad, what, what's this? Certainly you've seen that before. I mean, you're really old. So you've seen this. They're like, son, I ain't seen this before. He says, neither you nor your fathers know it. It, wasn't, it was something new that God did. And so when they saw that, but what was God doing? He was teaching them, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not just some words, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, God was showing them, you're not just physical beings. You're not just physical creatures. You are not just about the body. You don't need just bread physical bread. You're a spiritual body as well, a spiritual person as well, a spiritual entity. And you can't survive without this bread. God said, I'm giving you bread like this, and I'm giving you bread like this, so you can know this is just as important as this. 
That's what we need to see. See, without the Word of God, you may exist, but you won't live. You know what? Think about what you're doing to yourself by neglecting the Word of God. Go on a hunger strike sometime and see what that's like. When your body begins to scream out for food, I don't mean a little fast or something like that. No, go on a hunger strike. See what happens after 14 days. And your body starts withering and your body starts screaming at you. That's what you're doing to your soul when you neglect the Word of God. You know, we have some teenagers in our house, and I, I don't know, we should have like a, like a camera on the fridge door. Who ate the last? Well, not me, not me, right? But why? Because they're growing. Well, guess what? We can't be growing without the Word in our lives. Please recognize that. Understand that. And so what, what is it about manna? The first thing we need to see about manna is this. It was supernatural. Manna was supernatural. Its appearance was not a natural occurrence. It cannot be explained by any natural means. Think about this. What made it, what, was it something special? Was it something supernatural because it appeared every morning? No. We have, we have things like that that show up every morning. The sun shows up every morning. That's not supernatural. That's natural. What was supernatural about this? Not that it showed up every morning, but that it showed up every morning except one day a week. And the same day every week. It wasn't like, well, you know, usually about six days a week we'll get this stuff. It was like six days a week we get this stuff. On the seventh day it's not there. Secondly, it was supernatural because it appeared every morning, but it stopped as soon as they came to the promised land. When they got to the promised land, that was the last day of it. They never saw it again. Supernatural, not natural. Thirdly, it bred worms if left overnight. Now, there's nothing supernatural about that, right? I mean, sometimes my children leave food in their room. And it, that's not supernatural. I'll tell you, it's more demonic sometimes if we walk into the room and there it is. But what was supernatural? It bred worms if left overnight except on Friday, it would not breed worms. It would, it would stay until the next day and it would be usable the next day. It was supernatural. Fourthly, it was supernatural because whenever they gathered it, they gathered exactly enough. He who gathered a lot didn't gather too much. And he who gathered a little had just enough. How do you do that? It says they gathered, okay, I think this is enough. And they took the omer, they took the measurement, and it was exactly the amount they had, what they needed. 
That's kind of odd. It was supernatural. The Word of God is supernatural, right? The Word of God, the Bible, is supernatural. It's not like any ordinary book. Think about this. We have people that wrote it. Well, there's nothing supernatural about that, is there? Except that they wrote on a subject so contentious that not two people can agree on anything. But there are about 40 guys that wrote this book, and they agree together on it. It's not that there aren't things that are difficult to understand, as the Apostle Peter said. But here it is. These men wrote this. Now, prophecy. This book contains things that people said, things are going to happen in years to come. There's nothing supernatural about that. People do it in the National Enquirer every year. Right before January, they say what's going to happen the next year. The problem is, what makes it supernatural is, these things actually come true. See, there's the natural, but then there's the supernatural that sets it apart from the natural. See, God has done this. There are things that have been spoken that have taken place. There are things that have been spoken we have not yet seen that are supposed to take place, and we know they will because of these other things that have taken place. And then, the Word knows the secrets of your heart. The Word of God knows the secrets of your heart. It's the Word of God, and it speaks directly into your heart. No other book can do that. No other book. Some books may be inspiring. Boy, this is what I need or whatever. But this book speaks to the very secrets of your heart. How does it know that? How does it know that? The Word of God speaks to that. And, and the supernatural aspect of the Word of God is what keeps people in it. Number one, it keeps people in it. Nothing else can do that. Listen, I don't know of anybody who reads a book every day over and over again for all of their life. But people do this with the Bible every day. Now, I take that back. I suppose there could be some like really, really weird person who pick, take Shakespeare and every morning they read portions of it and they do that for all. I don't know of anybody. You can tell me if there's somebody that does that. But the Word of God has called people to remain in it. And they remain in it because it is supernatural. It's what keeps people in it. First of all, it brings about a new birth. It brings about a new birth. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, you are not born again by perishable seed. It's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. But you are born again by the living and enduring Word of God. You're not born again of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and enduring Word of God. That's what we need to see. That's what you need to understand. There is a new birth that the Word of God puts into a person. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Many of you could probably attest to this very thing, that there was a time in your life when you heard the Word of God... 
You heard the gospel, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed. Being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There is a new birth that takes place. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And you heard this. You heard that you are a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of you. No, you're not righteous. You're not good. There is none good. Not even one. If you think so, there's no hope for you. You will perish in your sin. Jesus said, I can't call the righteous to repentance. If they don't see their unrighteousness, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance. It can't happen. And that's what the Word does. It brings that truth into your heart. You're a sinner. You've fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of your sin is death, separation. The payment for your sin is death and hell. But, and that's the good news, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So so that He gives freely mercy to those who come to Him. He pours out His mercy freely on those who will call upon Him. That is the truth of the Word. And if you're here without a testimony like that, without a testimony saying that you at some point in your life have been born again by the Spirit of God, you can be today. That's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture does. It causes you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus both died and rose again so that you can have this life. He died for your sins and rose for your justification that you might be made righteous in His sight as a gift through His grace. Nothing else can do that. The Word of God only can do that. But it also helps you to grow. Peter says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow in respect to it. And so, we see this is what keeps people in the Word of God. But I'll tell you this, the supernatural character of this Word is also what keeps you out of this Word. See, some of you aren't in this Word because the supernatural character of the Word keeps you out of it. You you don't want to hear it. Maybe you're not born again. You've not been born again. I don't want to hear that. Or maybe there's sin in your life you don't want to deal with. I'm not going to open that book. For some reason, every page I turn to points out my sin. Well, when you deal with that sin and confess it and repent of it and put it under the blood of Christ, you won't see that on page 74 and 78 and 91 and 124. God's Word will deal with you as you need to be dealt with. That's why it speaks that way, because it's supernatural. And it keeps some of you out of the Word, because you don't want to hear it. You don't want to give up your rebellion. You don't want to give up and repent over your sin. So you don't submit yourself to the Word. I'm not going to church because I don't want to hear it. I don't feel like going today. 
It's the supernatural character of the Word that can keep you out of it. That's what, think about what happened to Peter when Jesus did that miracle in front of him and multiplied the fish. Peter fell down before him. I always look at this picture. It says the boat is filled with these fish and Peter falls on his face before the Lord and says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a wicked man. He didn't want, Jesus is the Word of God. You know that? The Bible calls Him the Word of God. He is the Word of God. And I'll tell you this, if you don't want to open your Bible and read it, if you don't want to be in the Word, guess what? You don't want Jesus. But I love Jesus. No, if you don't want to be in the Word, you don't love Jesus. He is the Word. And if you don't open the Word to find out about Him and His love for you, you don't want to know and love Jesus. You know, when people say that the, the Bible is antiquated, the Bible has errors in it, the, the writers were uneducated, they were, they were sexists, they were this or that, or they miss what the truth of it is and they fall prey to the lie of the devil to their own destruction and they miss the life-giving words of God. If you're not in this word, you need to deal honestly with God and, say, and, and speak to Him why. Maybe you're not saved. Lord, I've been ignoring this because I don't want to see my sin and your cure. I remember dealing with a young lady once, uh, and, and we, I told her, read the Gospel of John. She read the Gospel of John. She said, I need to talk to you about this Gospel of John. And, and she goes, I don't understand it. I went through and I said, you know what these last, these last uh, 11 chapters are about? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you need to call upon him. <sighs> I, don't I don't know. Is there something else I can read? I said, yeah, you need to read Romans chapter 1. And keep going. And I talked to her a week later. I said, have you read it? No, but I... I I got this other book from my sister. I said, that'll never, that'll never bring you to Christ. I said, read Romans chapter 1. My, my, under, my, my thought is that she actually did start to read Romans chapter 1 and she stopped because she didn't want to deal with what God was telling her. Maybe you're a believer You've trusted Christ as your Savior and there is this sin in your face that you don't want to get out of your way and you don't want the Word to continue to work in your life to talk to you about that. You need to take care of it to be in the Word. Why? And what do we see here? La these last parts. Number one, not only was the manna supernatural, number two, the manna was useful. It was necessary. In verse 16... He said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. Gather it. Gather it as much as you should eat. It's necessary for you. Secondly, it needs to be daily. In verses 19 and 20, verse 4, in verse 4, the, the, Moses wrote, I will rain bread for you, and people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Give us this day our daily bread. When Jesus is telling us to pray that, he's talking about, God, give me my portion that I need from your word today. Don't pray that without your wanting your daily portion. He doesn't just mean meeting your physical needs. He means meeting your spiritual needs by the word of God. Daily. 
Thirdly, not only is it necessary, not only is it, is it to be daily in your life, but thirdly, it is to be early in your life. In verse 21, they gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as they should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. What was God saying to them? If you don't get out, the early bird catches the word. That's, that's the truth. It melts before the day gets hot. You melt the opportunity for God to speak to you away if you don't get to it early. The day melts away. God's opportunity to speak to you and tell you this is what you ought to be doing today. Melts away if you just go on. You know what? We had quarters. In the Navy, we had quarters at 7 o'clock because we were getting ready for the day. This is, what, this is the plan of the day for today. Here's the daily action. This is what we're doing today. This is what needs to take place before the Admiral gets here on Thursday. This is what we're doing. This is for you early today so that you can see what God wants for you. The manna was supernatural. The manna was useful. Thirdly, the manna was eternal. The manna was eternal. God told him in verse 33 and 34 of 16, take a jar, put an omerful of it, put an omerful of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron placed it before the testimony. There it was. So there's stuff that would breed worms after a day or after two if it was kept past the Sabbath. Kept forever. It was a symbol to the Israelites. This is my eternal word. This is the word that lasts forever. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 6 to 8 says, All flesh is like grass. All its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The Word of God will not pass away. And if you are without Christ, you need the Word in you. You need Christ to come into you, to live in you, to give you eternal life, or you will perish. The only way that you can survive forever, the only way that you cannot go to hell is to have Christ in your heart. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up to me, I will come into him and sup with him. You need to receive Christ. You need to call upon him and receive his salvation. The scripture says he will come. He will save you. He will make you righteous. And if you don't have the eternal word of God dwelling in you, you will perish in your sin. Jesus said that in John 8, if you do not believe that I am, you will perish in your sin. You need him. And if you're without Christ today, you have a short time to trust him. I don't know how long your time is. You do have this time today. That's all I know. You say, well, I'm young. I've got years. You don't know how many years you have. I had a friend in college I was sharing the gospel with went away for Christmas break, and she didn't come back. She died in a car accident that winter. You don't know how long you have. I was in the hospital some years ago, 
and I was sharing the gospel with the nurse as he's attending to me, and I, and I said, what are you going to do with Christ? I, I, I'm, I'm young. And I said, how many young people have you seen come into the ER here who didn't survive? And he quickly had to attend to something else. You don't know how much time you have. You need to receive Christ if you've not done that. And as we close our service, we're going to have an invitation time. If you need Christ, you need to receive Him as your Savior. You need to call upon Him. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise You and thank You for this day. And Lord, we thank You for the testimony of Your Word, its supernatural nature, its usefulness, its eternal character. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know You, that they would call upon You today. They would come to know You. They would receive You as their Savior. And Lord, if there are Your people here who have been neglecting Your Word, putting off Your Word, they're starving in their spirit. Why are all these things happening to them? Why are they so distraught? God, might it be that they see their need for the Word of God. Please, Father, I pray. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing 342 just as I am. As we begin to sing 342, do you need Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you yet to receive Him? Would you come forward? Somebody will just come and pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior. Would you come as we sing 342? as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. We sing that second verse. Maybe you, you've trusted Christ. Maybe you need to come and just say, Lord, I want to commit myself to being in your word each day. Maybe you need to take this time. Some have come already to pray, to seek your face. Maybe you want to take this time as well. Whatever it is, God is working your heart. Would you take this time to pray? Come as we sing on the next verse. Just as I am and waiting not to my soul of one dark blood to thee blood can cleanse each spot O Lamb of God I come I come We're going to sing again a third verse as we continue this. If you need to pray you need to seek the Lord, you come at this time just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. 
as we're going to sing one more verse, maybe you just want to sit where you are and pray. See that some of you have done that. We'll take this time, give this opportunity for the Lord to work in your hearts as we sing. Just as I am poor, wretched, blind, sight rich is healing of the mind. Hey, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. All right, we're going to close in a word of prayer. We have our workshop here. There is some food downstairs. If you need something to get started, to kind of jumpstart that, hit the primer button before you pull the cord. Um, we have that downstairs. Harold, are there any instructions for us during this time? and which room and which building and I hadn't seen her to ask her of that yet. All right, so go do that. But if there's not, Joanne, are you here near? She's outside in the foyer. Uh, but also, before we get those sheets up, you can ask Harold. He can assign you to a spot uh, directly. Uh, we both have inside work here and in the annex and I got my blower. We'll see what we can get done outside. We'll do as, whatever we can. Uh, it's wet. That's all right. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for the hearts of your people, those you've touched. Lord, I pray, Father, that um, you would work in each heart. Lord, if there is um, someone who has not yet received you, that they would maybe ask someone they've come with, somebody who's invited them, someone... Uh, a teacher in their Sunday school class or something, Lord, that they would reach out to them and say, how can I be saved? Father, I just pray you'd work in that way. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.